0: Dreams, snakes, darkness, and the god of light, Apollo. These elements were the origin of healing in ancient Greece. Apollo, of course, is the ancient Greek god of light and dark. He shared the title of sun god with Helios. But Apollo also hung out in the gloom of caves and near the openings that led to the underworld. One of these crevices sheltered a dreaded python. Apollo killed it with an arrow, and in its place, established the famous oracle at Delphi. The more we study Apollo, the more we realize that he was a divinity of vast contradictions. With his sister Artemis, he shot arrows that unerringly hit their targets. He was often referred to simply as the far shooter. His targets were those who had angered the gods. Often he acted on his own, offended by any mortal who bragged about being particularly accomplished. He was also known to shoot toxic arrows tipped with incurable plague. The diseases attributed to Apollo's wrath were numerous. He, like Zeus, was a divine executioner. Heartless and without mercy, if we only saw this side of him we'd view him with utter fear yet he was revered as he was equally capable of delivering men from plague and disease in that connection and improbably he taught mortals the art of medicine all of the earliest greek temples dedicated to healing were founded in apollo's name it's clear that Despite the lives he took in anger, he also tended to the health of those mortals with whom he was pleased. And to underline his commitment, he completed his mission through his son Aesculipius by creating health centers throughout Greece. This is episode 31 of Garner's Greek Mythology. We have listeners from 145 countries and counting. Welcome to everyone, wherever you are. I'm your host, mythologist, and best-selling author, Patrick Garner. These stories about the gods have been told for thousands of years, but now there are new stories that are as compelling. If you haven't done so already, check out my books about the gods in the contemporary world. You can read more about them and about this podcast at patrickgarnerbooks.com. And as always, this podcast focuses on one thing. Greek gods, of course. They, like you, are here now. Through Apollo's insights and multiple blessings, the ancient Greeks initiated the study of healing. These early doctors, all priests of Apollo, founded centers across Greece more than 2,700 years ago. And it's important to emphasize that, regardless of these sanctuaries, all founded by Apollo's son, Asclepius, a rival healer appeared in the 5th century BC. His name was Hippocrates of Kos. He was a Greek physician who was active during the age of Pericles. For a number of reasons, Hippocrates has now Eclipse the fame of Asclepius. In fact, today Asclepius is almost unknown, while Hippocrates is commonly considered the father of modern medicine. We think of him in regards to the Hippocratic Oath, a pledge that all doctors took upon starting their practice. But as we'll see, Hippocrates was hardly the originator of the healing arts. In fact, the original Hippocratic Oath began with the invocation, quote, "I swear by Apollo the healer and by Asclepius and by all the gods." Unquote. Hippocrates clearly acknowledged his debt to Apollo and Asclepius, but those who later practiced in his name changed that as the Mediterranean world became first more secular than completely Christian, the oath was revised to strike all references to the gods. Let's focus for now on Apollo's son and the creator of medical arts, for Asclepius invented the art of healing, not Hippocrates. At least eight centuries before the birth of Hippocrates, Asclepius first appears in references to the Trojan War. Homer mentions him in the Iliad because the sons of Asclepius are described as accompanying the Greek army as physicians. In time, Asclepius, as a son of Apollo, became worshiped himself across Greece. He was, after all, a demigod. When he was young, Apollo sent him to the centaur Chiron, a famous healer who later mentored Achilles. Asclepius was a quick study. The ancient poet Pindar writes, quote, wise-hearted Chiron taught Asclepius the soft-fingered skills of medicine's lure. Under the tutelage of Apollo and Chiron, Asclepius became a master healer. In time, his sanctuaries sprang up all over the Mediterranean. His powers were believed to be extraordinary and he used dreams as insights into healing recommendations. As centuries passed, those who came to be healed believed that the priests acting in his name were actually channeling Apollo. Therefore, their cures were not only inspired, but divine. Their voice was the God's voice, and their recommendations channeled by Asclepius or his appointed priests were believed to be unerring. Asclepius. He was depicted in Greek art as a kindly bearded man, often holding a long stick that was entwined by a snake. Why a snake? According to tradition, Asclepius was once in the house of a man whom he was to cure. While he was standing absorbed in thought, A serpent twined around his staff. Its mouth held an herb which would bring back to life anyone who had died. Asclepius knew the gift was from his father Apollo. Now he was armed with a magic herb. Think of what doctors today would give for such a medication. Asclepius was the recipient of other marvelous offerings. Apollo, always watching the boy allowed other gods to instruct his son. In one instance, Asclepius received an unusual gift from Athena. She granted him the blood from the veins of the Gorgon, the hideous monster that had been slain by Zeus. Like the snake's magic herb, the Gorgon's blood possessed the power to restore the dead to life. Athenae warned him, to use this power with great discretion, reminding him that Zeus reserved such powers to himself. Yet one day, late in his career, Asclepius stood over the body of one of his old friends. He knew he could breathe life back into the dead man. His sympathy blinded him to Athene's warnings. Using the snake's magic herb, he brought his friend back to life. Zeus learned of the event and was infuriated, as Athena had said he reserved the power of life to himself. Without hesitation, he scanned the earth for the famous healer, finding him in one of his sanctuaries. Zeus killed Asclepius with a thunderbolt. Yet, Zeus's action may have only enhanced Asclepius's reputation. His influence lasted for at least another thousand years. It was so broad that even 800 years later, when Hippocrates appeared, many considered him a mere upstart. In reality, Asclepius and Hippocrates created two competing schools of medicine. Their differences were stark we might compare them to the practice of a shaman who calls upon spirits versus a modern doctor. By that, I mean that Asclepius called upon Apollo for his cures, while Hippocrates followed the procedures of a modern clinician. One called upon the divine, while the other conducted a systematic study of disease, and in time, the school of Hippocrates won out. In the new millennium, as Christianity became dominant, Asclepius was shunted aside along with his father. Both were effectively banished as embarrassing remnants of a pagan past. In the vacuum the father and son left, the school of Hippocrates flourished and Hippocrates became known as the father of modern medicine. Snakes. We don't associate modern medicine with snakes, yet both Asclepius and Hippocrates used their imagery. Asclepius carried their use farther. He viewed snakes as essential to his practice. Non-venomous snakes were often used in healing rituals. In his temples and sanctuaries, snakes crawled around freely on the floors where the sick and injured slept and snakes were introduced at the opening of each of his new temples throughout the classical world interestingly products derived from the bodies of poisonous snakes were believed to have medicinal properties in ancient times at the time physicians were aware that snake venom was fatal if it entered the bloodstream yet Snake venom in small amounts appears to have been prescribed in some cases as a form of therapy. As I mentioned a moment ago, Asclepius was so closely linked to snakes that he was always depicted holding a staff with a serpent winding around it. The symbol has been variously interpreted. One view is that it conveyed notions of resurrection and healing. Cornutis, a Greek philosopher from the first century AD explained the significance of both the snake and the staff writing, Asclepios derives his name from healing soothingly and from deferring the withering that comes with death. For this reason, therefore, they give him a serpent as an attribute, indicating that those who avail themselves of medical science undergo a process similar to the serpent that is, they grow young again after illnesses and, and scrap old age as a snake does its skin." Unquote. Yet as we know by this time, Asclepius, for all of his miracles, was on the out. The world was changing. As the acolytes of Hippocrates cast a greater and greater shadow over Asclepius, they adopted his symbols, including the snake and the staff. Today, hundreds of organizations across the world use the rod of Asclepius as their logo, attributing it unknowingly to the father of medicine, Hippocrates. But let's return a moment to that first century philosopher. He said something very unusual about Asclepius. Did you catch it? The philosopher uttered the phrases, grow young again and scrap old age. In many ways, that's an astounding claim. He's saying that Asclepius not only cured the sick, but that the Greeks believed he returned them to youth. And that's what's astounding. Today, we're we're seeing the beginning of something that may be very similar. A growing number of modern scientists now hypothesize that aging can be cured. A good example is Dr. David Sinclair at Harvard, a leading researcher into anti-aging who postulates that aging is no more than a disease. From the point of view of ancient Greeks, such beliefs would have been construed as profane, even blasphemous. For more than a millennia, Greeks believed that the three fates or Mori, determine one's destiny or fate. Their work included determining a person's precise lifespan. For instance, Clotho, the spinner, spun the thread of life. Lachesis, the apportioner, measured it, and Atropos, the third sister, cut the thread when the person's time was up. Only Zeus had the power to intervene. And accordingly, for an ancient Greek, the concept of anti-aging would have been unimaginable. At birth, all men were assigned a fixed number of days. To suggest otherwise would be an assault on the domain of the fates. Yet there was an exception. The Greeks looked the other way when it came to Asclepius. He could turn back the clock of aging. His patience shed their skins like snakes. They scrapped old age under his care. He was a demigod, and, as such, he could do as he wanted. Of course, it helped to be Apollo's son. I'll note as we conclude this episode that the theme of anti-aging has begun to appear in modern culture. For instance, My first work of fiction, The Winnowing, describes how the fates return to the contemporary world to prevent exactly what scientists are now trying to achieve. In that work, geneticists are on the verge of extending life and even ending death. The fates, long dormant, awaken, aware of the sudden threat to what they consider the proper order. The three begin to maneuver to modify the output of scientists. Their intent is to twist the test results, to skew the apparent findings, in order to halt the inevitable. For the fates, death is inextricably linked to the mutable laws of Gaia. In their divine view, changing the clock of human death disrupts millions of years of evolution. Again, The name of the book is The Winnowing. Other writers and pundits are focusing on the same theme. Yet for the public, the argument that death can be delayed for decades largely falls into the realm of science fiction. The public may not have caught up to the rapid changes within science. Still, mankind may be on the verge of life extension. paradoxically, what we seek today may have been a routine event during the lifetime of Asclepius. Join me for the next episode of Garner's Greek Mythology. If you love what you hear, be sure to visit PatrickGarnerBooks.com or find me on Amazon. I assure you my novels about the Greek gods are as entertaining as my podcasts. And a great way to find out is to download my audible book, homo divinitus you can get it at amazon or audible and thanks for listening this is your host patrick garner